0: Let's take it to the edge Let's get deflected
1: Three, two, one, go. Hey, guys. I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives. I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives. And this is the Knife Perspective, episode number five, nine. Dan's abuse of Privilege with Joe Flowers. He's back. And he made Hello. it from the Amazon. Oh, not a, you know the freaking rules, dude. You don't speak. <laughs> I was talking we're, about we're you. We're not to the guest part yet. I was talking about you're back, Dan. Oh, yeah, I'm back. Woohoo! Safe from <laughs> <in> the jungle. <laughs> <sighs> oh man. It, every trip is different. I think the most different part about this trip was the four hours with the Brazilian Navy. Mm. Super cute officers, though. Like, yeah? like the Navy chick officers were surprisingly attractive. Mm. Whereas their Marines were kind of. Equally and not so surprisingly not attractive.
0: <laughs> I'd hope so. Huh. Uh, so when did, when did you get back? How, how long have you been back now? Um, I
1: have been back three days,
0: three days, three days. I saw you go on a uh, photo uploading spree. Once you had wifi again,
1: I did. I got a little carried away there and then the Bogota and at home, I've got a new batch of photos to put up, but, uh, I, I got kind of sucked in with a little catching up and trying to defunkify everything that went to the jungle with me. Yeah,
0: I thought you were back with all how many photos you were putting up.
1: So, um, I mean, I was back in like a big sense. I was somewhere that had Wi-Fi, but mm-hmm. I wasn't back as in nestled into the bosom of labor, lady liberty. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Enjoy that image for a moment. It's my gift to you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I've been been busy.
0: I just finished up seven knives today. Four of them were uh, a custom order that I'm going to be posting up here in the next day or so. Mm-hmm. They were all Shockwood uh, with uh, Beyond Woods Products uh, Hulk Smash, so it was like green and uh, purple uh, resin with the, the wood and stuff. They turned out super awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Not Magna Cut, so my arms felt really good on that. And uh, they're just that easy, easy to hand sand CPM
1: 154. Yeah, that that butter. <laughs> I, I've got twelve magna cuts sitting on the far left of my bench, like giving me the ugly, ugly eye right now. I mean, I'm I'm not ready to acknowledge it. Like I'm 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 doing that. I don't see you right now. Mm-hmm. But that 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 yeah. stuff's going to have to get done soon. It's
0: kind of like when I cut my finger with my. The sandpaper uh, on my disc grinder. I just like didn't look at it for like a minute. It was like it's not that bad. <laughs> and, and then I'm like, please
1: don't be to the bone. <laughs> you look down. And you're like, all right, that's white. Is that tendon or is it bone?
0: <laughs> Luckily, it was just like a. Uh, it was. It wasn't very deep. Just really like a big uh broad. flap.
1: Oh, so, yeah. No, that, uh, that, that. So it wasn't that, that, wasn't too terrible. Bad. It grew back. So. What grit was it? 60. 60? Yeah, that, that'll take a bite. <laughs> well, it was from the side. So the paper, like, so it hangs in. over,
0: like, I don't know, a quarter, not quite a quarter of an inch.
1: So. Yeah, those yeah. are the worst because there's nothing to knit back together. Like, you know, you, you slice a flap off your, your finger, you can just cram it back together, a little super glue, glue it'll yeah. heal. But the abrasive cuts, like, there, there's nothing to bind together. You just... You well, there was still it like out. a flap because it was from the side. Yeah.
0: Uh, I didn't like sand it off. It was, uh, there was like a little ledge from the paper sticking over the disc and it yeah. like went. Oh,
1: so it sliced. It didn't like a braid a whole section yeah. away. Yeah. So uh, well, why are we even talking about it then? It's st- it still hurt pretty bad. Well, God, My younger pansy, generation, pansy self. But
0: yeah. So um, let's get into it. Sponsors. Yeah. Uh we got Jantz Knife Supply. Uh you can use discount code KP Grip for 10% off handle materials. Uh one of the things I've been looking at uh recently was one of the one of my customers wanted me to look into stabilizing some plum wood that they had from their property that they wanted to use on a set of handles. And uh got the got the prices together on Jantz for uh, some stabilizing equipment they turned out they didn't want to pay the extra to buy my stabilizing equipment stuff so we're going with just natural wood but uh, i didn't know they had all the stabilizing equipment the cactus juice in the chamber and uh, all the resin and stuff and dyes and stuff so one of the things i found on jance
1: that i didn't know they had have you handled plumwood before uh no I, th- that's a new wood to me. I know you've handled a lot of wood. I just didn't know if if plum wood was one that you had you yeah. handled before.
0: Um how it dried, it like warped a bunch. Uh so I'm hoping that it's like pretty much done cuz it he said it's been like in his garage for like 3 years. Or? Uh it's cupping and twisting and everything. So yeah, it's like corkscrew. Uh Ooh, so I uh I, work I, I mounted it to um uh, a couple pieces of uh black and white g10 so hopefully that'll help stabilize it with the
1: wood and keep it uh from wanting to twist and separate and stuff so mounting wood is 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 a pretty solid answer to that <laughs>
2: Gosh, yeah. is he going to keep going with these? Because they're, they're pretty solid so far.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, thanks, Chance. Uh, Atlas Materials is another one. Uh, was looking on their website. I didn't know they sold this synthetic stone. Yep, there's all sorts of different ones. The mm. the turquoise blue web is one of the ones that I think I might have to try. I really like the that turquoise with like the black and stuff in there. Uh, they also have some red coral. And green abalone and leopard skin jasper and stuff that all look pretty cool. So, is this
2: chance? This no, this is, this is a, materials. Ooh, ooh, like the originate the queue guys. Yeah, the yeah. Stuff decided that, that,
1: yeah, I was about to tell the story about Gorin, my my knife making buddy in the jungle from Tenenboka. Um, he really struggles with even stabilized wood shipping from the Amazon to other parts of the world. Stuff shrinks, it expands. And I always try to take stuff down to him and he was like, Dan, can you, can you bring me something that doesn't, that doesn't move? Like I need, I need something that I can make here and ship out to the U S and it doesn't, it doesn't create gaps and warp. And <clears throat> they're not a primary sponsor, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to him. Uh, GL Hansen's Macarta. I took him some of that. And then I took a bunch of Atlas materials uh, some of the snake skin, the, the Jum- Jumanji? Juman- I never pronounce it right. <laughs> Juma. Juma. <laughs> Look, you know.
0: Maybe maybe Dan and Natasha are going to have to change it to uh, Jumanji. They should,
1: Jumanji. They should. They should just like dovetail on. That's really cheap marketing. Anyway, <laughs> um, we took some of that and some of the gemstone, uh, which we he was blown away with because it's got that bright, vibrant colors. It's got really cool details. And it is, absolute rock solid he can shape it in the amazon jungle which he literally does in the jungle makes his knives and he can ship them out all over the
2: world and doesn't have to worry about warp it can't and- ship them out all over the world i have to bring them all the way back in my stupid suitcase that um, weighs joseph, 50 pounds joseph you haven't been
1: officially introduced yet you <laughs> know mind. the rules you, you, <laughs> you can't speak can we can we can we mute his his line We could really, this this is amateur stuff. (sighs) Uh, And And then uh, to, to uh,
0: process all that material, you're going to need some good abrasive belts, Uh, Phoenix abrasives. You can use KP 10 for 10% off all your orders with uh, their huge selection of stuff. Uh, One of the things that I've been using a bunch lately is the surface conditioning belts. Uh, I've been working on a big batch of pocket bushcrafters all out of MagnaCut, and I've decided not to hand sand all those. Uh, Really, like there was any uh, doubt on that. But uh, using the the three surface conditioning belts that they have there has really given it a great satin finish. So after the like 400 A45 Gator belt, (laughs) I've been using the surface conditioning belts, and it's looking pretty awesome.
1: Uh, and I finally broke down and got a couple of their incinerator belts, the blue ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and for profiling, especially on the, the S35VN and the Magna Cut, I, I'm getting a lot more blades per belt with that. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm not saying I drank the Kool Aid, but you, you might not be wrong about it.
0: Yeah. After I grind a bevel, I can profile. Almost as many blades as I ever want to profile at one time with the uh, with a used incinerator belt,
1: yeah, so um and I think part of that is the way that the the aggregate breaks it kind of self sharpens mm-hmm. That the okay
0: yep they're they're more expensive, but I think they're worth it for uh, all- round stuff, especially if you're using a lot of high wear resistant
1: steel yeah the the more I leaned into it, the more it seemed to keep cutting
0: mm-hmm. Yep, and I've been using a big fourteen-inch wheel for my profiling.
1: And uh, look at me, my wheel is so big.
0: Yeah, it 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 really makes a huge difference uh, being able to work those edges and get around in those corners, and it not heat up the blade nearly as Mm -hmm. much as my flat platen.
1: Uh, That's a good point. I've been using an eight-inch, but
0: yeah. The fort, uh, the one I have is a 14-inch serrated wheel, and the serrated oh. wheel makes actually seems to make a pretty big difference on profiling uh, with a little bit of extra pressure and then release and then uh, cooling effect.
1: I was about to ask, is it more aggressive or is it just that it doesn't heat up as much?
0: I think it's a little more aggressive with its having some higher contact pressure Yeah, um, things there.
1: I, it gives it almost like a, a toothiness, the the release of pressure and the addition of pressure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then if you uh, need other knife making equipment, you can go to our other sponsor, our last but not least sponsor old town cutlery. And you can use KP 10 to get 10% off all your order there. And they have all sorts of knife making equipment and all sorts of production knives. And just now they have this uh cool hands. Cog. Cock hand call a
1: hands. Yeah, we're not gonna ask the, dislike, the dyslexic the Well kids. you know you know all this stuff. Uh but they got a whole bunch of I've, these you, I've, uh I've actually used some of their gear before, but lord help me if I can pronounce it
0: yeah so they got a bunch of the they sell knife or the camping equipment there so uh, there's yeah. like a little fire in a box thing that has a little pocket bellows in there that's like a telescoping tube so you can blow down in your fire I've got one of those and it I have actually used that really really helps oh, work well um, and then they have like uh, the chemical sticks and uh, some of the storm proof matches and uh, stuff like that too so uh, check them out.
1: Uh, also, they've got really good prices on the West System epoxies, especially the the G Flex, which I'm a huge fan yep. of, and the Starbond
0: adhesive. Also, the uh C A glue, crinoacylate, super glue stuff.
1: Yeah, C A. Uh, and they recently took a uh, a shipment of Echo Fives. Mm. Yeah, I, I haven't been doing a lot of outdoor stuff lately, but I haven't forgot y'all. Y'all are the reason that I'm here today. I'll always make some, some outdoor knives. <laughs> and uh, that might be the year supply where the Echo 5s and they got them all.
0: <laughs> nice. Good job, Lee. Yeah. You, oh, you can find the, the
1: finest culinary
0: knives at Old Town Cutlery, KH Daily, and Dogwood Custom Knives. And you can get, find Dogwood Custom Knives at the Knife Center and you the Cook Station. And you can find Cage Daily Knives at Northside Cutlery. Uh, So check out those dealers of ours and uh, let them know that uh, you're happy they're selling our knives.
1: If you're local to Greenville, and depending on how quickly Kyle edits this, you can catch uh, me and Jason Knight at the Cook Station. Hmm. Um, We will be giving a presentation on knife skills and then general knife knowledge. When is that? Uh, that is, <laughs> you know, hang on. I get uh, numbers, things. This is so much easier when I just ask. Do, do, that. That is uh, do, September do, 18th. September 18th. Yep. That's this weekend. Yeah. So, I mean, lickety split, chop, chop. Get on the editing, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is basically... This is basically a first take material. (laughs) Like, I really, I don't see where we need editing. Yeah, probably not.
0: Yeah, make sure you check out our dealers (laughs) and uh, let our sponsors know that you appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. And make sure you use those discount codes to get some stuff that you already need anyway. Uh, So a shout out to Gear Talk. Uh, So one of the shout outs I wanted to do was USA Knife Maker. They were uh, the host of the Midwest Knife Makers Guild Hammering up in Mankato, Minnesota. And while I was there, my buddy Frank Grissom got the last uh, one and a half inch slotted tooling arm stand uh, that they had, but looks super awesome. Mine is supposed to be here on Thursday. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm super excited for it. It's a big tube that they plasma cut the squares out of. uh, So you can put 11 tooling arms kind of 90 degrees to each other all the way up and uh,
1: no Christmas store them
0: so they're not laying all over my workbench. They're not underneath the workbench. They're not leaning up against the workbench. They're not laying over on across the shop. So I'll be able to centralize them next to the grinder and be able to pull them out and have them at arm's reach. So,
1: Oh, look at the engineer all organized and things put just in their place. Yeah. And,
0: well, the more organized right. you can be, the faster, more efficient you can be. So... Actually, I've, I've got to
1: give you credit on that.
0: <laughs> Us so, being one man shop, so, Dan, we gotta we gotta utilize all what little uh, brain power we have. So
1: it took me a while to appreciate that the last thirty minutes of the day, clean your shop and put your tools away where they belong and make sure that everything's squared away. It perpetuates that over weeks, months, years, it's hundreds of hours of saved time. Yeah, but. When you're rushing to try and get that final thing done, it's it takes a little discipline to go. No, the day's done. Stop. Clean up your shop. Put your stuff away. So the next time you're looking for it, it's where it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's hard to appreciate how much time that saves, but you're better off. Give up the 30 minutes a day.
2: Yeah,
1: it'll pay off in the long
2: run.
0: We're a big fan of the five minute cleanup here. So with our twin boys and stuff, they can demolish a room. And it's, it's amazing that you start your stopwatch on your phone and you're like, we got five minutes and it's amazing how much you can get done. I do the same thing before I have to pick the boys up uh, from school. Uh, you do like five, do like five minutes and just vacuum and sweep and stuff. And it's amazing how much I get a lot more done than I think is humanly possible in just five minutes. So do you do the song
1: clean up, clean up, clean yeah. Up.
0: everybody (laughs) everywhere. Yeah. So yeah, thanks Tracy and Luke for making that tooling arm stand. I'm super excited for, for it to come and uh, blend a little more organization to my area. And the other shout out I had was Sam Goldbrook. He's a maker in the Chicagoland area, Evanston. He makes some unbelievable jamones and stuff in the, in his chef knives and kitchen knives. He was actually a chef uh, before he became a full-time maker and his two brothers are woodworkers too. So they have like a big shop compound downtown uh, in Evanston and uh, super cool. We went there and uh, hung out for the day one day, super cool what he's doing there. So make sure you give him a follow on Instagram. Sam Goldbrook is his Instagram and uh, yeah, he was super cool maker. So go check him out.
1: All right, and we've got a new segment, and I, I really feel like I want to bring our guest in on this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of mix things up. It's a little awkward. Cause are you unique? gonna introduce him now? Then, yeah, I'm thinking about it, which is a little awkward because I I usually have like some some notes or some bullet points to kind of ease people in. Like, I mean, it, it, Joe Flowers, he a friend to everyone. No one really admits to no one. You know what? That's not kind. All right. Joe Flowers, who, if you've read an outdoor or a knife magazine, there is a 99, I'm going to call it, say, 100% chance you've read one of his articles. He is one of, and I'm grudgingly saying this, most influential people in the, the knife and outdoor community that you've never heard of. And
2: generally a pretty decent guy, Joe Flowers. Glad to have you on. I am trying so hard not to make faces at you through the uh, camera here. So uh, thank <laughs> you uh, for that wonderful and very gentlemanly um, introduction. Thanks, Dan. Yeah.
1: Well, it was a little bit of a trap because now we've got an engineer and the two of us, and now we're going to ask a really complicated oh, no. <laughs> knife question. All right. <laughs> Start it um, off. We had a listener send this in. Uh, yeah. Um i i i'm I'm gonna tap out to to Kyle to it's Andy can you help me with the last name laeur laeur that's what I thought, but I wasn't sure <laughs> i'm
0: pretty I'm pretty sure he's canadian um
1: when I looked at his profile but I'm profile. sure he's a fine upstanding individual just the same yeah. listen to us. um and he had a really good question about secondary bevels or micro bevels um I know you have some
0: strong opinions of the micro bevel from your your time in the Amazon from one of your first trips. Not
1: Dan. No way. (laughs) And and Joe was there for a moment. And, I mean, Joe is a a, – robust is the wrong word. Joe is a designer that has a significant, probably more than you know, designs out there. So this is actually a really good opportunity to apply some some engineering perspective, some real world perspective. This is a good group of people to answer this question. Um Kyle's the engineer, right? Truth be told, okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Just make sure, like, like he's all licensed. Okay, good. I took oh. like two or three years and then dropped out of college, I'm, but he like I'm not did licensed. The whole thing.
0: <laughs> You're not? No, I don't have a PE. Really? No. My brother-in-law does, but for civil
1: engineering. Can you get him on the line, then? (laughs) We can. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, You know, there's no way for me to get around this. Kyle, why don't you read the question, and then we'll answer it.
0: Uh, He says, hello there. I was hoping to ask... Your opinion about the impact of the size of the micro bevel or secondary bevel at the cutting edge of, say, a camping fishing knife to be used hard, but with some basic care. I have always been one for very small micro bevels, as I like the way they look and the increased speed of sharpening to the same angle has always proven to vastly outweigh any potential reduction in durability. I... I'm not convinced there is an appreciable difference in durability in any kind of reasonable use case. No prying, bashing, etc. Please see the image below that you guys won't be able to see. Does the small micro bevel
1: make... Kyle's going to totally put that in the show notes.
0: Make for a weak knife. Let me see if I can drop this picture into here for Joe to see. Bam. Let me
2: see Kyle Daly... No. Oh my god, was I supposed to see that? <laughs> That's super gross. Cr- no, I'm shitting. It looks infected, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Should I hold
1: should I hold my other screen up to the camera so Joe can see it? Uh, I don't know. That might work.
2: That might work quick enough.
1: All right, here we go.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: Can you see that? Yeah. Cuz I can't yeah, yeah. see what you see, right now. Okay. Um, um the gist of it
0: is he is Thin behind the edge is what a lot of people call it.
1: Yeah, and this, so his idea, hopefully we can put the image in the show notes and y'all can see. Um, basically, it comes down to thickness of the spine. He's got one example. Both knives are ground with a 40 degree micro bevel. Mm-hmm. But one is significantly thicker at the spine than the other.
2: At the edge. Well, it's how much meat is behind the metal yeah. I mean so he has yeah, he has seventy thousandths
0: behind the the secondary evel, bevel versus twenty thousandths on the other one,
2: so this yeah, is the, a pretty um knife knife uh, nut heavy podcast, right
1: mhm yeah
2: more this is mostly makers and definitely enthusiasts. okay, um so even morse Kahansky um professed putting micro bevels on. To me, just, just my my opinion, um mm-hmm. the most scandy of scandies, the flattest of scandies, which to me would be um Moras because they, they're done on, you know, robot edges uh with specialized machines. And he was a big proponent on any sort of secondary bevel because he would say you wanna have or something along the lines of you wanna have meat behind the edge. Um, and I think the thinner the steel gets right at the point where it touches a medium, um, the quicker it is to fracture, more or less.
1: Well, we proved it out the the first jungle trip. Uh, a lot of people were cutting on black palm, and they were cross-cutting, mm-hmm. and their edges were immediately rolling. The true scandies were immediately deforming.
2: Hey, let's back up. Black palm is um, a crazy palm because why? More or less. It's it's incredibly dense, and it's got really long fibers.
1: Yeah. So when you try to cross-cut it, it's almost like trying to cross-cut um, carbon fiber. It's got these really long, really dense fibers.
2: This and this a, is the same black a palm, lot of people right, have... that you have in knife handles? Like, you can buy black palm, the same species almost, mm-hmm. for knife handles, right? Yeah. You yeah. can, and the
1: Matisse used for bows. and yeah. I mean – There's a lot to, there's a lot of benefit to black, black palm, but people were trying to cross cut on the grain and their edges were immediately rolling. And a couple of the knives I had didn't have that issue and they had micro bevels and it really came down to there was a little more meat behind the edge. But one of the things in this description that we've got to talk about is both in this image, both micro bevels are 40 degrees. Mm hmm. So mathematically based just on the angle of action, 40 degrees and 40 degrees, it's going to be the same. But in one case, the meat behind the edge is significantly more. So you're trying to push more mass through whatever you're cutting. So when you get deep cuts, even though they're both at 40 degrees, one is displacing more mass than the other. And it really comes down to a thinner blade, which is going to produce a lower secondary bevel, mm-hmm. is going to be the more
2: efficient cutting cutting. Blade. Right, but it's going to be the one to fail the easiest, though, right?
1: Um, I don't entirely agree with you. No,
2: well, I, I don't know. I think, there, I think there's a balancing act there. Yeah, yeah. There, there has to be an equation because you can have a 17 degree and then have a secondary angle of – God knows what, or he can have a 17 degree with like a, what, like a, like a a 20 degree angle. And then you won't have enough, enough, uh, enough, butt behind it, you know, because even though it's much higher, it's gotten thinner. It's honestly the thinness behind that bevel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So he has like a picture with uh, the primary bevel being 10 degrees and the secondary bevel being 40 degrees. And one is 70 uh, Mm thousandths wide at the bottom. And then so that makes the length of that bevel be a tenth of an inch. And then the other one is 20 thousandths wide. uh, And that length of the bevel is only 30
1: thousandths. So in both cases, all the angles are equal. mm -hmm. But just the edge, the mass, the mass of stock is different. Like one would be an eighth of an inch and one would be three thirty second. seconds. Just picking random. Yeah. yeah.
0: But if we continued um, to go down, it would still be the
1: same. Yeah. But all the angles are the same. So the angles of action, the efficiency from the angle is going to be the same across the board, but the thinner blade is going to displace less mass. So it is going to cut more efficiently,
2: but yeah. it could flex more, even though all the angles are the same or microflex more. I don't know. This is like a, Rest in peace, even though everybody has all their different opinions on this. This is like a good cliff. Yeah, but you're wrong. No, no. This is a good cliff stamp yeah. question because, um, you know, there might be microflexion in there. There could well, be other well, and we crazy should, stuff, too. We
1: should have said at the beginning of the conversation, same steel, same rock wool, absolutely everything being the same other than thickness of material.
2: Gosh, you know that that that's like a. This is not where my expertise is. This is for the engineer, but I almost think it could yeah. be a flexion problem.
0: I think it depends on. I think there's definitely a balancing act there to optimize how thin you can go before it starts being too thin. Uh, and in kitchen knives, you can usually push that much thinner than what you would think. Where and the outdoors cutting knots and stupid things stupid stupid in wood, stuff. yeah. Yeah, like uh, lots of chopping and stuff where there's lots of impact, you wouldn't be able to push it quite that thin. So I think the secondary bevels are definitely useful, but the actual thickness behind the edge, a thinner knife is always going to outperform a straight cutting task Mm -hmm. than a thicker knife uh, because it doesn't get the wedging of the material that it's trying to force out
1: uh, laterally. And in this example, the height of the grind that he's speaking of, the height of the micro bevel is really a function of how thick the blade is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, um, that width behind the, so. So it comes down to not the height of the micro bevel, but the the thickness of the stock that you're starting with. Mm. That makes
2: sense. Yeah. Like
0: I always have a number that I shoot for at the edge before I sharpen for my kitchen knives Um, And then some of the times when I know the person that it's going to and uh, know they know how to use a knife, I'll I'll even go a little bit thinner than that uh, because I know they're not going to try to, like, twist twist or chop through a bone or something that they're not supposed to.
1: Oh, there's some people out there that have got a a three-degree primary grind from me, and there's some people that got 10-degree. Yeah. Oh, so you, were, interesting, you were on the
0: last right? podcast. Did you listen to the last podcast, Dan? There was with Todd. I was on the last podcast with Todd Hunt. It was just Todd and me. Todd Hunt. We, we did a po-
1: we did a we did a podcast with Todd. <laughs> no, he did it with <laughs> that. Was you. a while ago, dude. <laughs> so no, there could, there could not have been a podcast without uh, me. I, I refuse to acknowledge. I this. talked
0: about uh, one of the the people uh, that you know, uh, our friend Ben Sechrist. Uh he was yeah. cutting two-inch uh pink foam insulation with my S ground eight-inch chef's knife.
1: Why would he all right, I'm gonna have a talk with the boy. <laughs> He'll be up here for the guild meeting in November and and and, and we'll talk. <laughs> he called he called
0: me up and he goes, You've got a lifetime warranty on your knife, right? I'm like,
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a stupid clause on that. <laughs> but he Please said it he said yeah, it, worked, it worked it worked great
0: so that uh, was i was surprised uh the the knife that they gave him to cut it didn't cut nearly as well as the the chef's knife so i'm glad it worked out well for mm. him so
2: all right so i have if we're going to go on this this uh um voyage for a second i have a Arguably 80 to 100-year-old scandinavian – or no, tumi, tumi ground knife. You guys know what that means? That's like the – where the top part's Mm -hmm. ground kind of like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is – like a relief grind. um, I don't – you'll have to check this thing out. Um, It's old, but um, it's handmade. And the grind differentiates, like your friend said, um, to where it's thinner at the end. Of course, this is done – Mass production, even though it's handmade, so the, the grind's a little bit off. But the worst chunk um out of this blade is at the tip, where the uh spine difference is a little bit different, but the edge was also changed up here. You know, the the degree was changed up here at the bevel. So mm-hmm. um yeah, it's a, it's a really cool, you know, Frankenstein project. This is Well, and that's a that's a compound
1: grind where you've got on the cutting edge, you've got two grinds. Mm-hmm. And then on the spine side, you've got what I've generally started calling a relief grind. So, so like if you've got a fuller, you've got basically an I-beam. Mm-hmm. So you've taken some material away, but you've kept rigidness. This way, you've made almost a diamond pattern where, again, you've got the rigidness. But by taking the material away from the spine side, when you're making really deep cuts, you're not getting all that friction right at the spine, but it's still staying rigid.
0: Yeah.
2: Hmm. Your um, moment so, of
1: inertia. The eye is high. <laughs> um, Kind of like a Kephart where you've basically got six different planes all interacting together.
2: Yeah. It's it's an interesting problem, but, um, you know, y- you'd think that we'd have this down being the world's, you know, oldest tool. Oh, I do. <laughs> the rest of you are
1: wrong, but I've got it down.
2: But I mean there's still something <laughs> learned. Maybe there maybe there should be an I beam at the end to make it tougher, Dan.
1: That's called a fuller.
2: Yeah, at the <laughs> just at the end though, just at the tip. Just the tip. Oh, just the yeah. tip.
1: So the tip stays rigid.
2: Yeah, and the and the rest rest stays bendy. It's... That doesn't sound very useful. Well to you because your pin's wrong. <laughs> Ah, that's what it is. That's why you can be 80. the first triple f front fuller front fuller <laughs> yeah you can, you can you can you can fill in the blanks afterwards <laughs> You start a whole new thing like Beshwedge. yeah
0: all right uh not sure if we came to a universal consensus and answered answered Andy's question but hopefully Andy you found some usefulness out of that discussion.
1: The answer is it's not necessarily about the height of the secondary bevel. If all the angles are the same, generally a thinner blade is going to cut better, but you're going to have less material behind the edge, so it may not be as durable.
2: Yeah, right. If the height of the secondary right? bevel is huge, it's still going to dig into the medium.
1: Well, you're still de- you're still displacing. You know, if your blade. We're going to pick random numbers just to make it easy. If your blade is a half inch thick and you're making a deep cut, no matter what the angle of that secondary bevel is, no matter how high it is, you're still having to displace a half inch worth of material. Right. Yeah. Where if the other blade is an eighth of an inch, even though the angles are the same, the mathematical efficiency of the angle is going to be the same, but you're displacing a quarter amount of the material it's gonna take less force to make deeper cuts.
2: Correct. I think so too. I agree with that. yep All right.
1: Let's call the show. Joe agreed with me. This feels like a Thank good Thank you place for your time.
2: End. Time for the mathematicians <laughs> to jump in. I call the power wow. of the guy who all, invented the diamond.
0: Yeah. All <laughs> the well actually people can can chime in.
1: Uh, they can send their emails to Kyle at the knife perspective. I just
2: cut stuff that all has, uh, I don't cut the same medium every time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Actually send it to Dan at knife perspective. I don't even have the password for that. email, (laughs) So
0: I could just, I could just go ahead and delete that email entirely.
1: I mean, you can, there's probably some emails in there I should respond to, but I (laughs) I forgot the password. Yeah. Yeah, That's
0: why I just keep telling people to call, send it to your dogwood one. (laughs) Oh uh, that's that's why I keep getting
1: those, huh? Yeah. All right. Let's get into Joe. Yeah. Um Early Years Family. I really feel like we've covered this already. Yeah. That's like show four, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Or I think this is our your third time on the show, isn't it, Joe? I
1: think, I think it really it's second or Police. third?
2: Not sure. Police, it's been a, I think it's been at least something.
1: two. All right. So it's like him and Todd are tied for most shows. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so
0: we're
2: gonna skip all the way. So,
0: if if you want to know more about Joe's backstory, go back and listen to the previous Joe episode. Yeah,
2: guys, I design oh. for knife companies. I watch Crocodile Nutty way too much. I like creepy crawly things. I play in the jungle. Dan tolerates me for some dumb reason, and uh, uh I write about knives and like knives way too much. Thank you for your time, and I,
0: and I like you too.
2: Oh. <laughs> and, 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 and Kyle also tolerates me equally.
1: <laughs> All right. So now, you know what? I'm a co-host of the show. Granted, I don't edit it, but I do do the booking. Do-do. We picked up on that. <laughs> Y'all can laugh. Um, Joe hooked me up with, what is this, my seventh?
2: Yeah, we, we can't even keep track anymore. <laughs> seventh time. I haven't even reached ten tenth uh, tenth time yet.
1: we're just going to call it a buttload of trips to the Amazon with Joe. So I'm really abusing my authority as a co-host of the show to bring somebody on that, yeah, did a bunch of knife stuff. But spoiler, we're not talking about knives anymore. So y'all can tune in, tune out. It's up to you. But we're going to talk about some badass trips to the Amazon.
2: Dan. Because that's what I just came back from. My 10th year, I believe, is 2023. And you've done seven trips. One without me. Yeah. Um, so what's that? Like 75%? Oh, right. I
1: forgot about that. Eight, nine, ten. So we're t- almost tied.
2: Yeah. So what? Yes. And
1: I don't want to call out some of the guys on these trips, but I'm just saying my 13-year-old did the same trip he did.
2: <laughs> so a, a good 75% of the, the badass jungle Amazon trips uh, he's been aware of because he was there. And
1: every trip has been a little different which is one of the many reasons I keep going back mm-hmm. on it. But yeah, the rest of this show is is generally going to be uh, Bushcraft Global. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, Yeah, no, which is, is pretty badass. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. And not just because I've done it, but yeah, kind of because I've done it. All right, let's dive into uh, Bushcraft Global. How, when did it get started? Like, where did this concept of hey, I want to take a bunch of gringos to South America and introduce them to some indigenous people
2: and see what happens. Love knives. Um, been in knives all my life. Um, also been in the creepy crawlies. Uh, we'll keep this like very, very quick. Zoology, yeah. Joe like animal. Joe like knives. Joe like creepy crawly animals. Um, Joe also like big knives they all come together. Where in the jungle? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's fast forward to how did you take us to the jungle? Um. So long story short, um, I was on a podcast with Dan, um, and I was like, "Hey, dude, you can you can give the name equipped to endure." Was like, it still exists. Dan, we need to see it, Send you to the jungle. And I was like, I'm doing my first. Yeah. I've wanted to go to the jungle ever since I saw that predator movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Action figure <laughs> therapy. Um, so long story short, he came on the very first trip um, that I ever did with the group. Um, I brought a herpetologist down the year before. I said, okay, Dan, you're basically going to be a, a lab gerbil. If you complain, it's fine. I got some apps for that. They're called scorpions. You put them in your boot. No problem. He had he did a really good job. I figured out that people weren't going to die down there and um ish. We tried, PR. yeah, ish. Um and uh yeah, so Joshua nearly died. Well that that was his fault for wearing like 18 pounds of gear in the front and in the back.
1: No, no, no. His fault was eating salad and Leticia the night before we went into the bush.
2: The biggest problems in the jungles when you travel are the towns. And the food that's there, that's that's where like the big problems happen. Is like people either get too much alcohol or they get too much uh, uh, food. So, full
1: disclosure, I, I thought he was an experienced traveler. No matter where you go, if you travel a couple of thousand miles away, there's different bugs that you're not used to. And generally, stay away from ice, stay away from tap water, and stay away from fruits and vegetables that aren't peeled. And I look over, and Joshua is drinking a drink with ice cubes in it while he eats his salad. And I'm like,
2: no, uh, it's too late. Yeah. You'll figure it out on your own. So we, we have um, learned so much about intestines since that trip.
0: Yeah. So how did you get mixed up with the Matisse tribe down there? How did, how did, how did you create
1: that? So the Matisse are the, the most noteworthy. I don't want to say noteworthy. They've got the biggest splash, but there's several tribes down there that Joe's connected with, and I really think that they they all they all need a moment. I don't want to to get too zeroed in on the Matisse right mm-hmm. away. I'm I'm sorry, Kyle. I don't how did good. how did
0: you how did you get linked up with these people that live where they live? Because uh, they don't have cell phones, you can't just like call them and say, "Hey, uh, I'd like to bring a whole bunch of people down there." How did you get linked up with those? people
2: so through a variety of interesting events um i was down there on an expedition a series of unfortunate events yeah yeah um i was down there on an expedition and uh i had to take over for a little while and um i got everything taken care of in a small jungle town um called leticia it's technically an island Even though it's not. It's a landlocked island. So they basically bring like all their goods through cruise ships or through airplanes. Barely ever any sort of automobile. There's no
1: road connecting Leticia to the outside world. Everything that gets there either gets there by boat or plane.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I was down in this small little town for a little while. And I really wanted to see snakes. So I went to the place with the biggest serpentarium and they bring me out to their natural reserve. I see all these tiny little possums, beautiful insects, beautiful animals. And long story short, I wake up in the morning. My, my mouth has been open for like the entire night because I was completely blown away gawking at all these animals I've seen on national geographic. And, um, This Arnold Schwarzenegger Sousing dude comes out from the the, uh, uh, hut and goes, hey, dude, what's up? What do you do? And I'm like, oh, I design knives for Condor Tool Knife and a couple of other knife companies. Really, man? He like throws his cigarette down. I love knives. You need to come to my house. And um, he shows me some of the knives he made. He's like, yeah. And this is really the way going. Yeah, it's literally, it kind of sounds like him a little bit. Um, and, uh, he's like, yeah, I know these awesome tribes. I have a very personal relationship with them. I would like to bring people out here. And I'm like, can we make it knife based? And he's like, absolutely. And so we started forming out this, um, idea of bushcraft global, which was an experience, not just a class, but just something where you're just thrown into it. Um, we try and make it at where each person has as much attention as they can. Um, and, uh, uh, you basically are doing bushcraft, foraging, fishing, um, looking for different wild edibles, be it, um, uh, plants, mushrooms, fish, insects, protein. mammals, uh, reptiles, you know, de- depending on the situation, um, what we can find to supplement good food that we have on the side. So not like necessarily, uh Hey, we have to go out and kill this animal to survive. No. Some
1: of the early trips were, were pretty hard.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were more backpacking. Um, and then every single trip is different. So like. It is. That's very true. Yeah. Like Dan, your trip was different from the two trips I had last year. You know, it was incredible. My trip,
1: the, However many trips it's been seven, I think Um, each one has been different. That's one of the reasons I've keep coming back. Mm -hmm. I mean that, that early trip, I remember Goran coming in, you know, we're eating breakfast and Goran comes in he's like, all right, no more arts and crafts. We're out of protein. Everybody fishes. We're going fishing today. And then a few trips later, that pressure is off of us. It's not such a hardcore survival focused. We've got to eat. It's a little more. The, the pressure is off of you. Like if, if you don't want to get up and work hard that morning, you don't have to. Where some of the earlier trips were you want to eat. You going not work your ass off today.
2: A lot of that, too, was we made y'all hike a lot. Well, we all hiked a lot, you know, at the beginning and, and we've come into a, at least a different, the whole thing is very plastic. You know, it's not like we have training where we have to get you out of the jungle. Our goal is to make it like you want to stay in
1: the jungle. Oh, the last trip, it was Ritz Carlton. I told you last trip we were getting towards the end of the day and it was the first, usually last couple of trips by the last day, I was pretty much ready to go. Like. I had pushed myself, I was hungry, I was tired, I was ready to get back, have a shower. Um, This this last trip was kind of the Ritz-Carlton. It was the first time where it was time to start packing up. I'm like, nah, y'all come get me next week.
2: Yeah, you know, there are so many different environments where – you learn, like, holy crud! I'm I'm kind of afraid where I'm at, and and for me, you know, it's the Arctic. It's it's up north, you know, even in Canada. Because cold sucks. Yeah, well, th- to me, cold sucks. Plus, you have grizzly bears and stuff. But down there, and cold sucks. I used to think it was a joke when Goran would say, "Yeah, our biggest problem is people want to stay down there," and and now I've had to like push people onto the plane before, not like you know, violently or anything, but be like, come on, it's time. We have to go, you know, your, your knife, your knifecation is over.
1: A couple of trips ago was kind of the aha moment for me. It's a new environment. I, I was really uncomfortable and Goran, who is the local contact that, that knows everybody down there. And he really phrased it perfectly. He said, uh, Do you have venomous snakes where you come from? Yeah, you know, rattlesnake, copperhead, water moccasin. It's like, all right. Do you have venomous insects? I'm like, eh, hey, you know, black widow, brown recluse. We have scorpions. Same thing here. Just don't push your hands or feet somewhere you can't see. And it, 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 it kind of hit me with that aha moment of it's different dangers, but it's the same kinds of danger. Mm-hmm. Like treat them the same way you would. Where I was at home, don't put your feet somewhere you can't see. Don't reach into somewhere. And that gave me the freedom to really start to explore this new environment. Because it really is. One of the things I love about it is the forest of the Northeast or the Southeast, rather. I know that. Like, I I can move through that nearly like some of the indigenous in the Amazon can. I, I've grown up with it. I interact with it at a less than conscious level, but I hit South and it's a new environment. I'm like a kid again. Like I'm experiencing things for the first time. But with that perspective of, yeah, it's the same dangers you have home. They're just different names. It gave me the confidence to really start moving out and and experiencing this new environment.
2: You know, I think that's that what you just said might be like a, a really good point it makes you feel like a kid again, but you have this, you know, to to some respect, even the, the the most, I think some of the oldest people that I've had on the trips have had the best time because they can be a kid again, but they can take all these experiences that they've learned from wherever they're at. If they're from Fresno or from um, Phoenix, Arizona, or, or, or from the Southeast where we have water moccasins up in South Carolina. And they go, oh, okay, this is a problem here. I know, look for this, but I'm in a new environment. Now I know some of the problems that I've had from my previous experiences and are able to see, hey, maybe, you know, this isn't as dangerous as I have. Some of the coolest, you know, people I've seen down there, like just the people like from Florida, like like Justin from Wayback Wilderness, who was just a beast you know, the whole time, Florida man. Yeah. On on the last trip, he was a Florida man, but he was like, wow, I can take some of the stuff I learned from here and, and bring it here. And it really is applicable. And it kind of makes you have a new sense of, of where you walk because you learn this hyper quote unquote, uh, dangerous area. Hey, I need to worry about this. If I want to sneak up on this animal, I need to worry about my shadow and you bring it back home and it, you know, really changes you. You learn, okay, I can't spear a bullfrog up in Ohio because um, my, my hand got in front of the uh, headlamp and now I learned there was a shadow there. And I learned that from, you know, the last trip or something like that. And um, it all becomes applicable because, you know, it, yeah, it's survival down the Amazon jungle where, you know, 440 C, you know, cordage basically is on like every tree and you can pull it down and tie up your hammock, but then you can learn, Oh, okay. This is how they make baskets. You can do it with tulip poplar, even up in, uh, uh, North Carolina or something like that.
1: Kudzu's a lot like, uh, 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 donkey vine.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I tried to go to the Spanish translation and I lost it. But,
2: mm, burro uh, or Duro Bohuku Burro. Duro or Burro. Bur, burro. burro. I, can't, I can't roll my R's I, well.
0: I don't even know if I know what donkey vine is. Uh, bohuco de Burro.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a vine, a durable vine or vine of the donkey, something along that line. Yeah. Bur, burro. Um, I can't roll so my R like right. chicken,
1: There's like chicken vine, which is kind of durable. And then there's donkey vine, which is... Uber durable. <laughs> it, um, but
2: kudzu is an analogy to some of that. Kudzu, you know, is edible. It's it's a kind of an yeah. incredible plant, too. You know, Japan has been dealing with it forever. So they know how to make, like, really, really awesome, awesome baskets out of it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and our dumbasses just brought it down for a row. Yeah. yeah,
2: now goats have worse. to
1: eat it. You know, I, I don't want to.
2: There, there's a, um, I think it's called Book of Kudzu, um, and it's all the different recipes that you can have for kudzu. It's pretty cool. Well,
1: one of uh, actually a couple of our chefs, but one in particular, uh, Craig Coons, hey, in Greenville, Chef Craig. Yeah, same, Shret- same, <laughs> same <Chef> Shrek.
2: Same <laughs> <laughs> Shrek.
1: Who actually? Um, those of y'all that have been keeping up with him, um, he's up. He's walking. Woo-hoo! He uses. He uses a walking stick moderately, but we had him down at the river. I'll get some pictures posted. He cooked his first outdoor meal. It was, it was pretty impressive, um, both because of the quality of the meal and it was his first chance to be able to maneuver around a fire. Um, he's back at work a couple hours out of the day, but it, it, he's absolutely turned the corner. it has gone from if he's gonna get better to win yeah. um
0: I think I saw a few pictures on his instagram with him working at the the cook station and stuff
1: uh he is he's doing some of the um he's doing some of the euphoria events um it some of it is general life some of it is in the jungle but It's been a perspective change for me that at some of my worst points, some of my most challenging times, pack is heavy. I've got to make another trip back to carry stuff. And I remember that there was a point in Craig's life where he would have given anything in the world to deal with my issues. Like, oh, shit, you have to walk back to the boat and carry two more loads. Yeah, Craig would have died to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's changed my perspective a little.
0: Yep.
1: Um, sorry, I I went on a tangent. We'll blame the
2: vodka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it the trips have become a little bit more posh. Quite good for you know most people's vacations until we have to carry the boat out. Yeah, we're gonna have that. We're gonna have that conver-
1: conversation off air. Okay. Because it's it. it it's not suitable for our delicate uh,
2: listeners. Basically, there there was a Serbian floating down a river on a boat by himself, just kind of like clanking through trees, screaming at us after we all yelled after the, the five people. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dude, dude, no, no, no. You have skipped
1: so much right now. Like, like I'm feeling stabby right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you guys can't see it. Joe's uh, making some pretty good faces at and- Dan through the the video. I'm just trying uh, to
2: trigger him, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh oh, it's easy to do. Yeah. So what what all did you guys do down there this time? Um. So there was and, and Dan will chime in. Um. But there was a lot of fishing for um everything yeah. sustainable from like piranha all the way to dormer lawn. Um. We tried for peacock Demon bass. Killer. Um Some people caught them like like only two people this time. Other big fish? There was a lot of spear fishing this time where we would go um from a shore based spear fishing trip, the Huitoto tribe where you 'd have these floatable spear shafts where you'd throw at fish and actually it 's not as hard as it sounds. You can become you know pretty primal in a second and be able to uh dart these fish.
1: And that's the, the technique that you'll, you'll ease along the riverbank and the fishes, the, the eyes will uh, fluoresce red as you move your light around. And they tend to be asleep, so they're a little lethargic. And there's a, a technique that is almost atlatl-like and that you grip the, the spear shaft towards the end. And it's a, a, an elbow and then wrist throwing motion. And it can either be stabbing or it can be throwing at a distance, and you'll either pin the fish down towards the bottom, or the spear shaft in the head is enough mass that once you pierce the fish, you can bring it back. But it's a a, a challenging and educational technique, I guess, would be a, a fair way to say. It, it. Those
0: are multi multi prong heads, I would assume. Yeah, like, like a, three to like a frog seven gig or something.
2: Yeah, yeah, three to six or seven. Yeah, very much like a frog gig. There, there's some that are kind of like, um, like a triangular trident style, if you guys can imagine that, uh, listeners. All the way to like the flat, you know, normal. I don't know Walmart frog uh, frog gig for our um, anywhere American. From ones. Three to five uh, points. Yeah, and that eye shine. This is part of the thing with Bushcraft Global, uh, the, the company that that I run. Is you learn some techniques that are transitional wherever you're from. So the eye shining is from the tympanum layer. There's a special lens behind the eye. And if you hold a flashlight up to the side of your head, you're able to get the eye shines a lot more when you're looking for an animal. You get the same effect when you see dogs or deer or raccoons or, or a lot of other different mammals in headland, headlights, of cars, but even Wildlife officers, you know, trying to get a head count for alligators will take their their floodlight, hold it by their head, and get eye shines from all them and go, jum, jum, jum. Okay, we have like a hundred alligators in this um lake. You can still do it in the US too. It's just we should only have forty, so sixty of them will be delicious. Yeah, yeah. So uh you 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 can figure out what you're gonna do with that information. You know, back in the day, like in nineteen twenties, it was a great way to You know, you just aim for the two lights for the deer, deer in the headlights and you're done. But uh,
1: nowadays you don't know if it's a cow or a person and that really gets awkward.
2: There's lots of lots of paperwork. And even, you know, like for this eye shine um, technique, which you can use to find any animal anywhere. Uh, Most animals, not all animals, but most animals. You need to be careful. One time I was in Peru with SC Navs and I was on a dugout canoe and I was getting ready to jump on this Cayman. I thought it was going to be a huge Cayman. And I see this big old red <laughs> eye shine and I'm, you know, moving my hands together really quick and I'm ready to jump on this Cayman. And I jump into this puddle of mud and I catch a big old Marine toad, which is this just big old cane <laughs> toad. Cause I had the same eye shine. So it's kind of like you, if you were hunting, you know, with a gun or something, you, you, you need to know what's behind it. Cause you could kill your neighbor's dog, um, which is why I shine hunting. Yeah. This is taking a, a right turn. Let's yeah. go. Sorry. We're to- talking about spearing versus like shooting. eyeshines shines out of your car. So
0: you, you <laughs> had mentioned piranhas there. One of the, I know piranhas have like a, like a pretty, like they've gotten a bad rap in the United States. One of my, right. my brother-in-law was reading a, a book with roosevelt i think when he went down to the amazon uh, yeah. and yeah. how they were like he wrote how he was like right. they were such dangerous right. so, animals and stuff so apparently in that they actually like dammed up the river and like starved those um piranhas for so like a couple the, days so from
1: what i heard here's but, the deal piranha are like carp with an attitude
0: but they're not like uh the, they don't like actively try to attack you all the time right
1: they're carrion eaters So if you're dead, yeah, they're going to eat you all up. Um, I was swimming in a river and Gorin, a local contact, started catching piranha and was trying to make a big deal about it. And I was like, yeah, I do. So if if you're dead and you're really still, yeah, they'll eat you all up. But again, they're the size of like basically crappy, small, uh, big brim, little (laughs) tiny mouth. Okay. Like. Um, so like you a bluegill or a red ear. Yeah. Yeah. You might get bitten by one while you're taking a bath and you'll move and they'll all freak out and move away from you.
0: Hmm. So they what mainly mean, like if they feed on animal flesh, it's like leftover from like an alligator attack or or caiman yeah, attack it, or something.
1: If you've got a big school, uh, a big school of them and you throw something dead, that's not going to move. They'll strip it to the bone. But if you're out there swimming, you're moving around, they're not interested in you.
2: So this um, is this is kind of um, you know, the same deal with uh, a lot of American alligators too, but one of you hit the nail on the hammer when you said Teddy Roosevelt gave a bad name to Piranhas. That was Kyle and it was nail on the hammer. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> you engineers in your real terms. Anyway, um in the river of doubt. He talked about piranha being, you know, like this perfect killing machine and, you know, they're, they're like 30 or 40 species of piranha, you know, some of them eat not just flesh, but also, you know, uh, they're omnivorous. So they eat both things, but they did, they put a huge show on for this guy and, um, he was the president or like, Hey, check out this stuff. And so that became, you know, sensational um in american media and and so they got this huge bad rap and and the same deal happens not all the time definitely not all the time but with a lot of um alligator maulings uh it turns out to be somebody drunk in the miami canals and drowns themselves and the alligators come and eat them afterwards Drunk people in Florida getting attacked by alligators. No way. Never happens. That is and
0: shocking. And I've heard a lot of snake attacks are all people that are trying to catch them and stuff like that, too. Well, yeah, uh, for snake
2: bites and so. stuff. But, like, <coughs> Jeff yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's envenomation. <laughs> that's different. For, like, actual <laughs> anacondas eating people, it's it's not a myth, but it's definitely something that's happened way less than somebody getting struck by lightning twice i don't know
0: well there was yeah, that be, guy that was trying to like get eaten in a suit or whatever right yeah
2: he's actually a pretty good dude he's a pretty mm-hmm. hardcore proponent for the amazon um he did that to be sensational and that kind of sucked hey what is what does that kind of taste like i've never eaten one
1: i i feel like a new trip coming on
2: last time i opened up a large a boreal species of constrictor. It looked like spaghetti on the inside and that wasn't the good type. It was all worms. Hmm. So not, not, not such a big uh, uh, fan of that. Yeah, no, I'll
1: find another hunter that hunts to eat.
2: The dude, the dude, uh, I think his name is Paul Rosalie. um, uh, who tried to get eaten by a uh, um, anaconda he has a couple of really good books out there too. He he saw some pretty big animals when he would run around. So um, yeah, I, I know what he was trying to do. He was a naturalist trying to like film himself getting eaten. But uh, when I see what he's done recently, I can't talk crap about that guy. Okay, that feels that feels like dumbassery. Well, yeah. I, hey, let's go try and get eaten by an animal, that sounds like a totally great idea.
0: Yeah. Well he was okay, in that like crush proof like, suit or whatever, yeah. and then they <laughs> like I was like, So he gets in there, how are they gonna get him out?
1: Like I don't I don't look it, at me in medieval armor walking through this swamp. Yeah.
0: Anyway, Wait. we're we're way off track. So uh you did a lot of fishing. Uh you mentioned some like bushcraft craft type stuff, I assume like baskets and I know Dan's talked about making a bow and some stuff before.
1: There was bows and blow guns, and uh, what'd you make, Dan? Uh, um, what I made was uh, more fish, more fish. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I was in kind of a sweet spot that I had done a lot of the like our first trip. Yeah, it was it was a pretty brutal hike in, and then it was search for protein all day, and then at night. We'd sit around the fire and work on stuff, and it, it might be a bow or a blowgun or that, that sort of thing. Um, so by the time we got to this trip, first of all, God, it was such a beautiful environment. Like, a lot of the conflict on being able to feed ourselves was completely taken away. I mean, we're at the edge of a lake that had a phenomenal amount of fish in it. I mean, every time I went out, I came back with food. So it took a lot of that pressure off. So for me, it was about exploring and fishing and going out with some of the indigenous. Every time I've gone out with a Matisse, there's a a language barrier there. But just by watching how they move, like, Literally, just watching how they move in the jungle, my stalking has gotten so much better. Like, the way they pace, the the width and length of their pace, I have learned so much from just walking behind them. And the same is true with some of the Witoto and uh, Yakuna. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned a phenomenal amount. Again, the language barrier was a little bit of a challenge, but just by going out and watching them move. So for me, this trip was a lot about fishing and it was a lot about just going out and learning how to move some other people. You know, it was their first trip. They wanted things to take back with them much like I did on my first trips. They were making blow guns. They were making, um, the woodcraft things. I think we all made a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, Somebody sent some knife blanks that uh, turns out a knife maker on vacation still has to make a knife.
2: Nice. I made him do it, guys. Um, I I told him, hey, look, this is your only chance to do it in the uh, Amazon jungle, and you don't even have to do any metal work. He's
1: like, oh, heck yeah, I'm up. Yeah, it was the easy part. (laughs) Um, I'll get a post up. I I took a bunch of pictures. So was that the Echo 5 pattern or – it was not. It was somebody else's uh little um
2: It was a lorry blade. Hmm. Um this time I went with a like four forty C style just um because we used ten ninety five before and it would get so uh uh rusted. So we had everybody <laughs> from, you know, people using Magna it. Cut all the way to people who barely ever use a knife, so I had to find some kind of balance.
1: Side note, my Magna-Cut didn't need to be sharpened or cleaned the entire time I was there. Nice. Little plug. So
0: uh, what Magna-Cut knife did you take with you?
1: Ooh, Cub, right? Uh, I took a Cub next to the Echo 5, the absolute cornerstone of my my lineup, and it was a little one sixteenth Cub. Is that the one that you said that doesn't get ordered nearly as
0: much as... Echo 5 there was one that you said you it, had that was like one of your favorite
1: patterns that and that's the Huntsman. Huntsman and for North America it's arguably the single best hunting pattern i make and i only get one or two orders out of it out of the year but it's the knife i carry the Echo 5 is a phenomenal bushcraft knife and it's a good just general purpose knife but for a hunting knife the the Huntsman is is what I carry the most. But this is the Cub. To be honest, if I can only have one knife, it's the one I would want. It's a little smaller than the Echo 5, but it's a great just general purpose knife. Um, And I had it in a little cross-draw sheath because I always carried a machete. So I had a, a big knife, small knife combo. And it was everything from getting splinters out of my foot to cutting dinner to processing game nice and i also had a, a cub and s35 vn which has gone on it it's got a firefly handle it's got kind of a history of being yeah, lost. yeah he lost it in the jungle like trips. 15
2: times let's be honest and every time come nightfall
1: we found it um so even though i had my uh, my magna cut absolute cutting edge technology blade I had to take the old traditional with me, and it has survived yet another trip.
2: So he's going to be releasing one with an Apple AirTag in the handle uh, in MagnaCut <laughs> so that we can find that thing later after we're going monkey mode. I'm also
1: experimenting with a, uh, a one
2: with a cork handle that'll float. Oh, I just wrote that literally the third – can you see this in the thing right there? I just wrote the word and underlined cork. Not cock, cork. Yep.
1: Because <laughs> oh, that was really awkward for a moment. Nice. I mean, I'd volunteer Kyle for it. Isn't
0: but... isn't cork becoming more in like not uh, as plentiful or something now?
2: Yeah, it's actually on the on the decline. It was almost put in the endangered species list, I believe, uh, a few years ago. Wasn't it
0: protected?
2: Yeah, is not it almost so? Protected? Get it while you can. Buy up all of that shit. You right, right. It's like, like uh mermaid mermaid bones. <laughs> Once yeah. they're gone, they're gone. I've only got like three of those left. <laughs> uh,
0: gotcha. So what else did you guys do? You mentioned fishing. I saw a whole bunch of like you getting whapped with cane <laughs> reeds or something. Yeah,
1: no. tell them about all the rituals, Dan. Um alright. You're gonna have to help me with the uh the Madeline. Madeline. So Actually, this is kind of fascinating. So the Matisse, which they made contact with the outside world in like 74, 75. And it's pretty impressive the way they kind of interacted with the outside world. They wanted to keep what it was to be Matisse. But machetes and metal cooking pots and shorts seemed pretty cool. So they had people go kind of out into the outside world and learn about what's there. And then they came back and they're like, Hey, metal cooking pots are fricking awesome. Facebook. Yeah. You don't want any part of that. (laughs) So they were able to integrate parts of the outside world, positive parts without losing their culture.
2: Okay. And guys, it's it's not, it's not a perfect amalgam. We're, We're trying to give it as, as basic as it is, but, um, it's, of course, with any human, um, a lot more complicated than that. But that's how it's yeah, kind of going. And I'm a
1: college dropout. Like, I, I I didn't take an anthropology. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, y'all are getting this just guy on the ground college dropout level. <laughs> but one of the fascinating things about them is there's several, but one in particular is they've just accepted to be alive hurts. Like, if you want honey, you're going to get stung by bees. Like, being alive, you're going to experience pain. And in their culture, they believe you should just be indifferent to that. I mean, yeah, no shit, it hurts. You're alive. So some of their experiences through life are about learning to be indifferent to discomfort. But this experience kind of struck me in that, Once I realized, like, they don't spank their children. Um, If there's the lazy guy that's not pulling his weight, they don't go all gang up and beat his ass. Um, If you are being a disbehaving child, if you're being lazy, if you're being in some way counterproductive to the culture, you will cause these jungle spirits to come into the village. And they can stay for days or weeks or even longer. And they beat the shit out of everybody. There's a good chance that they're particularly beating the shit out of the lazy people and the unpredictable. But like they don't spank their children. But a child that has behaved so poorly that these jungle spirits have come in. Not only does that person get physical punishment but the whole village is getting it and it's their fault so there's this on one hand there's the detachment of i'm not doing it to you but there's this compounded not only are you getting physically corrected but there's also the cultural you're causing the rest of us to do this so you're getting a physical correction and you're getting a cultural correction of this is happening to other people because of you. Mm. And in this case, uh, a couple of us went through what would have happened and these woodland spirits come in and are they, what frown are they using?
2: Uh, It's a special species. I can't remember the name, um, but it's a certain one that actually is just as loud as it hurts. Um, if
1: you uh, if you go on to the Dogwood Custom Knives, you'll have to go down a few spots. The first picture you will see like open bleeding sores across my abdomen, and the important thing to know is I was hit on my back, and you can hear these these canes these fronds break the sound barrier, and they'll hit you on the back and they'll wrap around to your abdomen and you'll hear it break the sound barrier as it splits open the, the flesh at your wherever you're getting hit. And this will happen to old people, young people, pregnant women, small children. And it kind of, it's, it's a two prong on one. You should be indifferent to it because stuff happens. You're alive. It hurts and you misbehaved. So you're causing this discomfort to both you and the rest of your village. So some of us took part in, ritual is the wrong word, but the process to get an idea of what happens when these spirits come into a Ceremony,
2: I guess.
1: Yeah, ceremony would work. But it was kind of a, a, a fascinating concept to see kind of corporal punishment without corporal punishment combined with the guilt of not only you getting your ass beat, but everybody else is getting their ass beat and it's your fault. And it's a really powerful corrective activity, both because of the physical and the cultural influence.
2: Yeah. So the um, kids sometimes aren't even hit. They're even just scared from these spirits running around, but they also um, do that like forged by fire type things. So the pregnant women too, and, you know, uh, uh, the youngest kids in the tribe also just get hit. Um, but it's it's not as bad as it sounds. Um, it's more for the psychological aspect of what Dan said earlier, you know, like the jungle sucks. It hurts. So they have these rituals based on pain. Nothing super fun or, or uh, uh, beneficial from them.
1: It's hurt, not injury. Like there's no structural damage, yeah. but it's unpleasant.
2: So was
0: somebody being, like,
1: letting the Joe was Joe was being lazy, and he caused letting the spirits in. uh, In this particular case, they just wanted to hit white dudes. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, in this particular case, it was Joe, but they were they were going to come regardless, just so people could have that experience, so they could see what it was like.
2: Hmm. They they singled Um, me out because they knew me, honestly. Crazy. yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> um
1: and actually joe took
2: both his lashes across
1: the abdomen and then um so they'll strike you across the back and the lash will wrap around your stomach uh, you can also expose your arms out and they'll go um in the creases of the elbow like on the inside of the elbow uh the creases behind the knee um yeah, I've, the one I, behind the knee sucks mine, the
2: most. <laughs> mine have closed to scars. Um, the Joe got lit up a couple yeah, of times. They, they like to do that though to the they, if it's like Gorn or or somebody else like that where there's like somebody who somebody who they know who's done them a bunch. Yeah, it sucks. Or the uh, other indigenous like Harry. Harry's terrified yeah. of them because they. Okay, Two hands. He knows they're yeah, gonna lay yeah, him they, open. They want to, and it's kind of more fun that way. <laughs> fun.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I think Joe tipped them off because like a, like the seventh lash was a little excessive.
2: Uh, I, well, and also, guys, everybody who's thinking about coming on these trips, it's all optional. You do not need to go through yeah. any one of these experiences, and there's no shaming or peer there, ribbing or anything. There were
1: several people that did yeah. At least one, and nobody gave him a hard time. Now, the 56-year-old woman took a lash, and and she was okay with it. Actually, she was rock solid. But there were some other people that didn't, and we didn't make fun of them for being I, a lash Yeah, I honestly don't remember from
2: time to time who didn't do it and who did, because I'm too busy going, Ooh, my freaking stomach hurts. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, when the professional MMA fighters are like, all right, I'm good.
2: yeah. And there, gotcha. there there'd uh, be wait. crazy clients, though, guys. Where they like, yeah, we need like four more, four more. Like, guys, don't no, stop it. They're they're just crazy. You're done. But we need to save some more reeds for the other people.
1: Then <laughs> they're like, oh, oh, you want the special treatment?
2: Yeah.
0: So the the reed is like a one time whack.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once they... it once it hits you, it breaks, mm. and they got to throw it away and get a new one. Mm. It, and there seems to be. It's some combination of, you know, like any other whip, as it breaks the sound barrier, there's a lot of energy there. But I swear it's very fibrous. And I swear that apart from, like, as it splits your skin from the sound barrier, they give it a little tug because I was pulling fibers out of, like, where they had laid me open, There were little fibers. I swear, as it wrapped around and and broke me open. They gave it a little tug and set all those fibers in. Hmm.
2: I still got my marks, but it was awesome. You should totally. Yeah, do it's, it. it's, you know, like, like I said before, it's more of a psychological thing. Um, if you go in there knowing that it's just going to be loud and it's going to hurt for a second. Um, it, it really isn't. Well, it sounds like I'm downplaying it. It isn't that bad, um, but you do bleed all over the place.
1: Well, the mental state is a degree of indifference. Like the guys that go out there and like, oh, 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 yeah, hit me, hit me. Like that's contrary to what you're going for because you're giving it a lot of significance. Your mental state should be, wow, I just got hit. That is not undifferent than me just drinking a glass of cold water. Yeah, that you know that, that the,
2: that's the idea. It's you getting used to something. That's it. That's all the rituals are.
1: Yeah. You know, so that when the you suck. step on a thorn, well, when you step on a thorn, rather than freaking out and pulling it out, you go, "Eh, I stepped on a thorn. I've still got six miles to walk today," mm-hmm. and you keep walking. Mm. Um, and nobody's obligated to do it. It's just an experience to see uh, some of what they do.
2: As with the frog poison, as with, um, you know, uh, a lot a of the different rituals. Combi or kimpo? Combo. Um, yeah, depending Combo. on which language. Um, but it's like, okay, guys, let's go down there and, and and try some hallucinogenic frog poison. There are absolutely no benefits. You don't hallucinate at all. At least I don't. Um, And and like you end up just getting poisoned real bad and then they put water on you and then you feel fine within like a second. It's super eerie. What fascinated
1: me about – I've done this a couple of times and it's a a neurotoxin derived from the excretions of a phylo-medusa. You got it.
2: Yep. Monkey frog.
1: Yep. And – So when this frog is stressed, it excludes uh, a neurotoxin. And in this case, they'll make a little burn on your skin to raise a blister, open up the blister, and that's the access point to put the neurotoxin in. And the first time I did it, it was, I mean, there was some searing electrical nerve pain. But for me, it was really abdominal. And the interesting thing that after talking to several people that have done this over time, I've had a lot of abdominal issues. I've had some useless organs removed. I've (laughs) I've, I've had some issues in my abdomen.
2: Useless organs. Um, (laughs) Forget you liver. You are not tough enough. Goodbye.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You, you know, all the ones. Um, But uh, so like when I was, when it was introduced to me, there was the brief, physical pain, but very quickly it was abdominal pain and talking to other guys. They're like, Oh no, no, it was, my heart was racing and my head really hurt. Other guys were, no, no, no. My nerves, all of my nerves were on fire. And it I've started to realize the the really fascinating thing is, and it might be a psychological thing. There's probably room for a study, But whatever is the weakest part on your body, that seems to be what it zeroes in on. So for me, I have abdominal issues and the physical pain passed really quickly, but I had this cramping, this, this abdominal pain that once they rinsed it off, you know, I had a few, within moments, I felt better, but I had this opportunity of this is the weakest part of my body. I can see that it hurts, but I'm still okay. Other people will, will feel this pounding in their heart and this pressure in their head. That's the weakest part of their body. And they have this moment to go, it's unpleasant, but I'm still okay. Other guys had this, this nerve fire, this, this neurotoxin running through their body where all their nerve endings burned. And it was a chance for them to go, okay, that's the weakest part of my body, but I'm still okay. And what fascinated me about this ceremony is it was kind of different for each person, but somehow call it what you will. This, this neurotoxin seemed to be able to zero in on what you at least perceived as the weakest part of your body and gave you a chance to endure that and be okay to learn that this weakest part of you can hurt, but you're still
2: okay. Interesting. Yeah. I've I've Um, puked on it before. Um, It's a, it's a cleanse, you know, you got to be careful which end it comes out of. Um, So far I haven't had the, the The latter end um problem, yeah. but and uh: I had some brief thoughts on defecation. Will it be
1: more embarrassing Will it be a, more embarrassing to just run out of the camp and defecate or defecate right here? And then the conversation was, okay, which one's going to be more en- embarrassing? defecating in my pants or pulling my pants down? And then the conversation was, "Oh, thank God Joe just asked for them to rinse it off. So I, now I can, without being the weakest person, and will not defecate in the middle of camp.
2: Yeah, see, that's a that's a thing. I have to get it rinsed off right away, so everybody else feels. Uh, that's why I do it. Totally, <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely,
2: and I respect that about you, Joe. So um, once again, that's like an option thing, but um, it, it's something that that people it's picked up in the U.S. too. Probably post COVID. Now it's a cure for COVID or some crazy uh uh claim or or something like that but um the cool part is they don't have to molest the frog as much anymore they figured out they can just shake it a bunch instead of you know putting it on fire um to get get the toxin out so the frog can just go about its way without being permanently scarred
1: Hmm. but it's a it's an opportunity to face what may be a physical weakness Mm mm-hmm and see that it's not that bad. Stress inoculation, yeah, pain inoculation, yeah, but it's a chance to go, all right, this is the most likely thing in my
2: body to fail and I'm still okay. So my brain failed because, you know, let's face it, that thing's messed up. No, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> your blood hurts. <laughs> right, because my blood hurts. <laughs> Nice, but um, yeah, so there's like an option to do all these um, crazy, awesome. you know, uh, uh, ceremonies and stuff. But also, you can just stay by the campfire and chill, and you know, carve the entire or day if you feel
1: like it, and blow guns,
2: yeah, or or make pottery or or make baskets or you know, make a spoon, whatever people want to do. Some people aren't so bushcraft savvy, so they're not in there for the the crafting. Some people just want to come for the experience. And it's interesting every single time to see who shows back up again, too.
0: Yeah. And Dan, like a dog, you can't uh, keep kicking him and he keeps coming back.
1: Hey, you have to fed
0: me. All right. Uh, do you have any other talking points you wanted to cover or?
2: Yeah, so um I will say this. Dan has come here on his sixth or seventh time. Um this is really cool because it's like a, a podcast that focuses on knives. Um for except
1: today we're vote try that again. Except for today we're focusing on Bushcraft Global.
2: Right, right. It's the wrong F word. Um focus this time. But um oh, if no, if you want to learn more about, you know, knife use. Even knife making on a more primordial uh, degree, because we're doing knife making classes now where you go down there for three days, you forge your own knife out of uh, 5160 or 1095, depending on what um, uh, Gorn has. The suspension
1: of the most recent wrecked vehicle. Yeah,
2: yeah, just depending. Sometimes he'll make you bring a whole bunch of stuff from Jantz uh, down there in a, a, a different um, suitcase. But um, you make your own knife in the Amazon jungle. You go out to the backyard, you know, just walk out there and get your own blood wood, your own mahogany, your own God knows what awesome tropical um, uh, equatorial uh, species of tree handle or burl you want. Um, and then if you want to, you use that knife in the jungle. So it's going to be a knife making Knife use class—that's something else. It's going to be a little bit less uh, hardcore because we're going to do it right, you know, on the property. You don't have to go five hours up the river in a boat or anything like that. So um, there's going to be classes like that on bushcraftglobal.com, also through Instagram. I'm sorry, Kyle. My website isn't the perfect thing yet because I'm too busy doing stuff. Yeah. So I have to update it. Um, A lot of us knife people can.
0: Yeah. I put a lot of work into mine when I first put it up
2: like four or five years ago now and can, <laughs> same uh, deal.
0: not been edited very much since then.
2: Yeah. It's the same deal. Same deal. So there, there is a bunch more, we're going to have like a hardcore class coming up where um you go with minimum equipment, you know, maybe just like a machete, um, tarp, uh, bug net, maybe no tarp, um, boots and, uh, have a more hardcore class and uh, some leave, other options coming hammock? up. Yep. Normally that's a lot easier than you think. Okay. There is uh, an inner cambium later layer of a, a certain type of tree called chambira, um, which is like a webbing tree. So you, you like rip off the webbing and it goes like maybe, I don't know, like 30 feet up the tree and you have this long, you know, three inch webbing that's um you know good for like most people's weight and you can web that between others and you can make like a really easy hammock really quickly we've even made knife sheaths out of it um where you do that like uh uh what's it called the um the white white birch bark uh layer um knife sheath out of it so a lot of knife stuff happens down there
1: on well, the uh the, the yakuna or taikuna will also use it with like their ceremonial masks.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. The Yukuna will like the inner cambium layer of, uh, um, La is like something that they would use for clothing. So it's this bark that you take the back of your knife. It's like and leather. You have, yeah. It's like leather, but you have to use a knife to make it. Um, you have to beat it with the back of your, um, uh, knife spine to make it more pliable. And then you're mm-hmm. able to weave it, process it and wear it. Well, it's kind of like chewing, uh buck hide Mm -hmm. you know you either have to
1: pound on it or chew it uh to make deer hide more pliable it's it's a a very similar texture
2: man that would that would make my mouth just fall apart i can imagine to chew on as much deer hide as it would take to make a shirt oof
1: that's why you need a good scraw squaw with really defined jaw (laughs) muscles
2: hey guys how are your mandibles (laughs) Uh,
1: all right on that note all right uh, what do you need uh what would somebody need to go on a bushcraft global trip like when they said holy shit joe flowers i want to be a part of that shit what do they need to have
2: so the first part is we have an equipment list um a deposit which is four hundred dollars it's all inclusive right now at least as of this podcast, it is twenty hundred dollars for um, ten days, ten to twelve days, depending on how many, how long you have to spend in Bogota, and then your flight. Um, your flight can be anywhere from four hundred and fifty dollars all the way to a thousand dollars, depending on where you come from. And I would say things that you would need to have is a little bit of hiking prowess know how your body uh, works in hot weather and the ability to communicate. So if you're getting too hot or you're uncomfortable at all, you let us know and we will take care of it. Um, We don't have air conditioning out there, but if you're on like a monkey hunt or something and you're getting a little bit more of the uh, heat exhaustion exhaustion, or um, any sort of problem like dehydration, you know, you tell us and we'll bring you back and, and fix it. Um, so
1: we'll wave you with palm fronds and yeah, we, we have a guy for that. We have that,
2: you know, there with the palm fronds waiting. So that's about it.
0: And I assume you need a passport.
2: Yeah. So you need a passport. Definitely. You don't need a COVID shot anymore, at least as of this recording, You want to have a good pair of Crocs. If not, you can get some down there. But um, you also want to have a little bit of physical fitness in hot weather hiking Um, or the ability to communicate to tell us if uh, you need to go back, you know, to to the beginning and whatnot. So we try and make it for everybody. It's not like a tough mutter or anything like that. But, um, you know, being able to hike a little bit with a backpack is very important. Um, Or... Being able to say, I need to sit down, I have a headache, is very important, too.
1: And, I mean, they can outfit you with all your gear. You can theoretically just show up with your clothes. But Mm -hmm. if – short version is you need to at least have the basic knowledge, skill, and – well, just knowledge and skill to have spent a couple of days out in the bush by yourself. Like, I mean, there's – There's some simple skill sets of preparing a hooch, setting up a camp. I mean, gear wise, they they can set you up with anything, but you need kind of a a baseline knowledge at least.
2: Yeah. You know, honestly, I'm starting to recommend somebody spend at least one night or two nights in a hammock beforehand um, just to get them familiar with it. You know, we have guides down there to help outfit everybody with everything. But just, you know, we can't help everybody's back. We can't help everybody's, you know, thing. If they say there is no way in heck I can stay in a hammock, you know, OK, we have to figure out our uh, tent option, which we have. Well, you're kind
1: of fubar'd because it's going to be the next eight days in a hammock.
2: Right, right. Yeah. So th- there are options. Victor, for instance, he's an indigenous down there who stays in a hammock without any or, or in a tent. He stays in a tent without any cross breeze whatsoever. Have you seen that thing? It's like all nylon. I don't know how he does it. So there are options, but, um, it's good to practice beforehand and, uh, there's no problem testing out equipment in your backyard.
0: Yeah. Yep. Uh, we, uh, we had the boys and we spent a night outside and I couldn't believe how many people seemingly left their like dogs out in the backyard overnight.
2: No, it'll blow so, your mind.
0: So many dogs barking and stuff. And then the R2 dogs start barking and yeah. How else are they going to
1: protect my shit at night if they're not
2: outside? I do keep um in my toiletries, especially <laughs> my camping toiletries. This is like a uh, tip for any camping situation. Beef jerky. Is it beef well, jerky? Beef jerky, yeah. But you can't put that in your ears. I always keep some um uh, earplugs just in case, you know, you can be in a camp situation in a tent and you can hear, you know, uh, uh, Frank, Frank in the other tent, you know, snoring away like two uh, miles away. And he sounds like he's going full on trying to start up a Harley. Oh, um, well,
1: and the sexy frogs and the cicadas can keep you up all night too. go. No,
2: not like a human song logs. I swear to God that there, there's nobody I've ever heard consistent. At least at least they can hit the same note to kind of lull you to sleep. You hear that?
1: That's it's like
2: beatboxing you, with snoring. That's why
1: you stay on the other side of camp from me.
2: <laughs> nice. Do I? It depends. I don't know. <laughs> so, in in uh, um he does. in in yeah, probably do um in abstract form bushcraft global is a knife users um vacation
1: chance to learn indigenous techniques with said knives
2: yeah or just you know not hanging around a campfire i don't know bsing you actually or just like okay man i really want to do this today and i start carving and you make some things for yourself that you want to do so it's a craft session you get to go fishing you get to do some foraging, whether it be for wild edibles, meat, or or other things. So, yeah.
1: You go fishing for fish that would eat you.
2: It, it's a great time because I love knives. Cool. And
0: uh, you want to give people uh, – you mentioned the deposit and stuff. Uh, where can they get in contact with you, Joe?
2: Um, you can do bushcraftglobal at gmail.com. Um, we have bushcraftglobal.com, the website, which is, um, like I said, still has to be worked on. TikTok, of course, now join the dark side. Sorry, Dan, we had this conversation.
0: Yeah, I follow you on TikTok.
2: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he's <laughs> that's right. We talked on TikTok before. And also YouTube, Instagram, Facebook not going to give you my snail mail right now, but maybe later if you need it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If Joe gets desperate enough. And if you want to find a really cool collaboration, you can go to Dogwood Custom Knives and see the pterosaur or the piranha, which mm. is a Joe Flowers, Dan Eastland collaboration that was situation. The,
1: that was the very first, like four o'clock in the morning. Joe wasn't sure if he wanted me on this trip. We t- started talking and designed a knife.
2: I still have the piranha here. We were nice. doing it on like like napkins, by the way, Kyle. Like like just like, hey, look at this. And then we both had like crayon drawings and like holding it.
1: pictures up to the camera, going yeah. like this. Yeah, yeah, except like not so this.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can imagine Dan with crayons.
1: Yeah, I mean, we started talking at like ten, and by four in the morning, we had designed the piranha.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was like, less ass on this end, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's More a cool sexy. knife.
1: And side note, yeah, you can come on the trip with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Uh, anything else you want to let the listeners know about before we wrap this one up?
2: Um, condortoolknife.com. Um, topsknives.com. Artisan Cutlery, CGRB. Um, scoop on this one. Uh, work tough. Um, I'm going to be working Mm -hmm. with. So those are all companies that uh, I design for. Yeah. I'm working on a Becker, Ethan Becker article right now for knives Mm -hmm. illustrated that I am hopefully uh, wrapping up um, next week. I have about 25 hours of phone conversations. I have to re listen to, um, to uh, uh, work on this article, but uh, uh, I can't wait to, uh, Publish nice.
0: it. Yeah, he's a very interesting guy.
2: Now that not, I never shut up either. So we're both <laughs> like in big trouble when we talk on the phone. Yeah, uh, he's <laughs> our crazy Uncle Lee.
0: You can keep in touch with the podcast at KnifePerspective.com. com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram on Knife Perspective. Uh, most people seem to be messaging us on Instagram, and we're getting pretty close, getting a lot closer to our two thousand follower. We're gonna have people nominate themselves or nominate somebody that they know uh, to have a listener on the show. So help us get to two thousand followers on Instagram, Ooh. and we can make that happen. We haven't plugged that for a while, but we're still planning on doing that. Uh, you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com, and he's Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram, and message him at dan at dogwoodcustomknives And you can keep in touch with me, Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives at cagedailyknives and I'm Cage Daily Knives on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And my email, Kyle at cagedailyknives dot com. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Thanks for uh, getting Dan
2: back safely and say good night, Dan. Good night, Dan. It was it's not easy getting him back safely. He still has nine, ten, ten fingers. How many? Ten, and the tattoo
1: isn't so infected anymore. <laughs> Woohoo! Must have spat on it or nice. something. Say good night, Dan. <laughs> Good night, Dan. Well, let's
0: take it to the edge, because that's what's expected. In this discussion, this is the night prospective.
2: Let's get to the point, we're going to talk about our things now, because that's what's expected.